Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Robots Podcast. I'm Jana and in this episode we'll be taking a closer look at the Photokite Fee by Perspective Robotics, a new and interesting take on a flying camera. The Fee is a quadrotor with a GoPro camera that's on a retractable leash held by the owner. Having the Fee on the end of a leash like this makes the Fee simple to control and provides accountability as people can see the drone's owner and the drone will never be out of view of the controller. Also, the Fee can fold its propellers inwards so that it can fit into a cylinder that's roughly the size of a large thermos. The crowdfunding campaign for the Photokite Fee started on 18th of August on Indiegogo and reached two-thirds of its target after a single week of fundraising. But the work's not done yet. Our interviewer Audro spoke to Sergei Lupashin about this new product, the idea behind it, and the team's plans for the future of its flying camera. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself and your company? Um, my name is Sergei Lupashin. Um, I'm the founder of Perspective Robotics, uh, a Zurich, uh, Switzerland-based company uh, behind the Photokite, the Photokite Pro and the Photokite Fee. Mm -hmm. And so the Photokite Fee is having an Indiegogo campaign. Can you tell me a bit about that and its goal? That's right. Uh, so as of this conversation, we actually just launched the campaign uh, a few days ago. Um, it's our first attempt at building something for uh, more of a um, consumer audience. So um, we started off uh, as a company by building something called the Photokite Pro, uh, which is used for broadcast, and it's, it's kind of a high-cost, uh, specialized product. And with the Photokite Fee, we have tried to make something much more accessible, um, both in terms of price and also in terms of use. Um, but also it's, it's, it's extremely portable, so we, we try to make it usable in different situations. And the goal there uh, is um, we're trying to raise, I believe, uh, a minimum of 300,000. It's a hardware product, so um, you know there's some critical mass you have to build to, to really make this accessible uh, for a wider audience. Um, yeah, and uh, it's a very exciting step for us. Mm -hmm. Now, can you describe the fee? Sure. I'm actually holding one uh, right now in my hands. So um, it's a quadrocopter. It looks like a quadrocopter. It's pretty small. Um, it actually weighs only 12 ounces, so it's like the weight of um, oh, like a small soda can. Um, so there are a few unique things about it. One is that it's actually attached to you by a tether, by a string, essentially. And what you hold in, in your hand is essentially a, a glorified dog leash with some electronics. Um, it it, it uh, spools the, the tether, and it also acts as a controller. So the fee itself, it looks like a quadrocopter. So on this tether, it holds a GoPro that you plug into it. Um, and it's a bit different from traditional drones because actually you take it out, you launch it just by turning it on and giving it a twist and then it flies. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't have the same sensors as most drones. Of course, it has an IMU, but you've removed GPS, uh, correct? 
Yeah, exactly. So, so by using the tether, um, one of the things we use the tether for is to figure out where the fee is relative to the user. So uh, a normal drone does that by, uh, you know, having a GPS receiver or having some sort of machine vision to figure out where it is. Um, in our case, um, we have this uh, tether. It's caught and it's um, kept under tension at all times. And by uh, uh, calculating uh, where that tension force points, uh, the photokite actually knows where it is relative to you. And this kind of changes the, the whole dynamic of the system because um, basically it's, it's, it's completely self-contained and the whole um, experience exists um, around the user. So, you know, if, if you walk down the street or, or if you're hiking in the mountains, you walk down the trail and uh, this thing is flying attached to you, it will naturally uh, travel with you without actually any special um, algorithms telling it to actively follow you. Gotcha. Can you tell me a bit about the leash, uh, how it works, how it keeps constant tension? Sure. So, so the leash, um, it's a spring-loaded lo- roll of, of, um, of the string. Um, and the, the photokite, um, so unlike a normal quadricopter, it doesn't always fly... Um, like to hover, it doesn't always fly straight up. It actually flies um, perhaps at a small angle and then it, it actually stays not above you but to the side. And it always produces a bit of extra force to keep the tension, uh, the tether under tension. Um, now, in, in the leash itself, um, there are some electronics. And if I turn it on right here, it actually connects to the, to the photokite uh, while it's flying. Um, and the reason for this is that, well, um, okay, we have a neat way to launch it, and you can point it when you launch it, but once it's flying, how do you actually tell it to turn? How do you tell it to move around? Well, we wanted to get away from the concept of having joysticks or, or, or having to get out your smartphone just to do that. So um, in the leash, uh, there are some buttons on the side, and basically you hold this thing, you hold down the button, and you rotate your wrist, and... The, that motion of your wrist, that motion of the leash, is translated into a command for the photokite in there. So what kind of commands? What kind of things can you do? You can have it rotate to look around? and. Yeah, precisely. I, I, actually, right now, there, there are just two modes of uh, interface. One is uh, in-place rotation. So, for example, uh, um, I want to take a panorama. So I, I would launch the photokite straight up. Then I would hold down the first button and I would rotate my, my wrist. And the, uh, the photocat would sort of um, in place rotate and capture the full 360 panorama. The other mode, uh, the second button, actually lets you control the position, the relative position of the photocat relative to you. So like the um, angle? Exactly, yeah. So, so um, we, we usually speak of it as um, elevation and orbit. And uh, so for elevation, like if you look at the stars in the sky, right, um, a star has an elevation above the horizon. So um, so that for elevation, you hold down that button, you move your wrist basically like up and down, and that will um, move the photokite either from a horizontal position relative to you to vertical or vice versa. So it basically controls uh, the vertical angle of where it flies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if, you, if you move your wrist in other directions, so more like uh, in the horizontal plane, that will cause the photocat to orbit, meaning, meaning that it will 
slowly reorient itself around you. Um, and if you keep doing that, it'll actually complete a circle around you mm -hmm. um, at a given elevation. And you can use this to either do like a um, this really neat matrix style shot yeah. of yourself, or you can use it to actually do pretty sophisticated shots um, using the PhotoCAD as kind of a fine study cam type. Yes. I see. How long does it take to train someone to use this to move around the photo fight for a very? It's time? a bit of a different experience from traditional drones, just just because the interface is so different and you actually feel the device physically. This is actually something that's quite special, right? Because you physically feel um, the photokite um, in there, um, pretty much the smallest motions of it through the string. So we, we did a number of demos for um, both like uh, expert users of drones and, and people who actually haven't touched them. Um, what I'd say is that the getting it to fly is surprisingly straightforward. You, you know, you, you show someone how to do it and they, they'll repeat the motions and it'll work immediately. Um, to really get, you know, unique shots and smooth video, um, I, I think it's a bit of a skill that you do have to learn. Nice thing is uh, with the tether, you kind of have your reactions to keep it from crashing into things and stuff like that. So, so it's, it's a bit of a less... Low, lower stress experience, we say, mm -hmm. than traditional drones. Okay, now speaking of crashing into things, what happens if it bumps into an object or say the tether, say someone runs into it sure. and the tether becomes taut in a different direction and then that tension is released suddenly? How yeah, so um, in, in terms of bumping into things, uh, we have these protectors that extend past the motors. And the idea is that uh, for, like for, for most things, you would actually touch first with the protectors, and that really helps to prevent outright crashes. Um, it also helps to just give the user a bit of confidence in, in being around these things. Um, in terms of the tether getting caught on things, um, well, the beauty of the system is that uh, you can actually, um, like, like there's no, nothing active in, in this tether, so you can just attach any string uh, to the photokite and it'll still work just fine. So, so for example, you could even do this trick where if you're trying to film um, the rooftop of your house um, and you're trying to, to really get, get over kind of on the other side of it, you can actually fly the photokite over the rooftop and then get it such that the tether touches the edge mm -hmm. and kind of slingshot it over. And it will simply use that new fixed point as the new reference point. And this kind of happens naturally. Hmm. Um, you know, explaining it in words, it kind of sounds weird, but just, just imagine a kite. Yes. But but the wind is, is the lift is generated by the kite itself. And uh, yeah, so naturally, if, if you grab the, the, uh, the tether of the kite, the string, and mm -hmm. someone pulls it away, it'll just fly at the same angle, but relative to that new point. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so saying that it can fly without uh, just being attached to any string, that means that you don't really need the smart leash so much. Is the smart leash just for controlling it to, so that it rotates and you can change the vertical angle? Yeah, the, the smart leash is there to, to make the system complete. Uh, most folks just want to use the system to, to capture a, a picture or video of the hike or something like that. We don't want to cause them to, to go find a string. 
so, so it's, it's just a, it's it's a convenience function. It's a, it's you know it's nicely built. There's a spring and there's electronics which allows control. I see. So the tether is very nice from the perspective of controlling the drone, but what are some other advantages of using tethers? Um, actually, before I get into that, I should also mention that it folds. Um, oh, yeah. Sure. This. So um, we, we thought about how do you actually use these devices in real life, and transportation is a major issue. Um, so the, the fee is pretty unique that uh, there's actually a lock mechanism. Um, it, it has the satisfying click. And when you unlock it, uh, the arms fold up with the propellers on the inside, and it turns into this like cylindrical shape. And then you just put that into essentially like a tube-like carrying case. And uh, it's like the size of a thermos. And then you, you put it into your backpack. Mm-hmm. And everything fits in there. Yeah, and the leash and everything. Great. All right. So now, why tethered? Why tethered? Uh, other um, than control. Sure. Uh, so so the tether wasn't actually the original idea. The, the original idea was um, I was in the lab finishing my PhD and looking at some interaction schemes with um, aerial systems. So th- this was Raft Andrea's lab. I, I think he might have been on your podcast as well. Um, we, we explored some different approaches, including using gestures, um, the Kinect, things like that. But all of these um, systems and, and anything based on machine vision especially, it's incredibly um, sensitive to conditions. You know, there's sunrise, um, lens flare, darkness, water, all of these things that confuse it. So, so in the end, uh, the question was, how do we get... Um, localization and interaction in the most robust way possible. And that's that's kind of where the tether came from. Um, it was originally a technical solution to figuring out, to letting a, a flying vehicle figure out precisely where it is relative to you without relying on um, sensitive systems like GPS or machine vision, etc. Um, when we actually programmed this and, and uh, made, made the first demo, um, it turned out to be a, um, just a really elegant way to interact with the system uh, to begin with. And it, it also completely changes the dynamic, the conversation between the operator, the vehicle, and the public. And uh, I think this was actually one of the most exciting moments in this process, because as a technologist, you, you, know, you, you don't foresee this. You, you see the tether as a technical solution, um, nothing else. And it turns out to be also... Um, it has all of these um, facets that are not technical, but rather the experience, you know, uh, how, how do people see this product? So in the end, um, the tether changes the photokite from being, you know, another drone. And I think drones, drones are, have some applications, but it changes it from being a, a drone to more of um, something of a companion uh, flying device, you know, it's a very personal device. It's more like a kite, and people treat you that way. Um, one uh, one parallel is maybe you know if you go to the park and, and people bring you know their their pets, their dogs. Um, if if you have a dog on a leash versus not on a leash, well, for some people it's fine, but but some people just get freaked out by um, by by dogs that are not not on a leash, right? Um, and I think we see some of that 
with drones from a privacy concern, things like that. So, so what we found out is having the tether changes that conversation and makes uh, this device much more accessible, uh, acceptable in public. I see. So there's accountability because you can see where its operator is or where its owner is. Exactly, and, and uh, anyone you know, no technical background required, uh, intuitively understands the chain of responsibility with this device. So can you tell me a bit about how this and similar technology has been used in journalism, maybe with the PhotoKite Pro? Um, sure. So the original inspiration for, for the PhotoKite um, was actually um, some of the aerial footage uh, captured of demonstrations and uh, just the unique perspective that that offered, you know, the, the context and the scale um, and which, know, the which demonstrations? Size of these events. Well, um, one example that I always uh, cite is um, the Bolotnaya Square demonstrations in Russia in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a neat story. It, it, um, it was after the federal elections, a uh, big demonstration right in the center of Moscow. It was captured by pretty much pure chance uh, from, from a drone, uh, quite a big one with an SLR camera. And, um, you know, just this, this one image, this panorama really, um, it's, it's amazing how well it transmits the scale uh, and uh, atmosphere of this event. Um, and, you know, they were very lucky in that particular instance that they, they happened to have the right equipment. They were professionals, so they could do it safely. They happened to get the right permissions. But we've seen uh, in, in many other examples that, that people um, haven't been able to get these perspectives and, and perhaps um, uh, trans- you know, cover these events as well as, as they could have been covered. Um, for example, a very surprising um, example is uh, the Ferguson, uh, the events in Ferguson. Missouri, yes. Missouri, uh, where there was a no-fly zone imposed, um, many believe, because to actually keep media out. Interesting. So how how does this, with your photo, with the Pro, which is the previous version, or maybe not previous version, but for journalism specifically? Uh, yeah, it, right. So to bring it back, um, what, what we found out is that having the physical connection um, usually changes actually also the regulatory aspect. So for example, in Switzerland and now actually France as well, um, we've, uh, after some conversations with the regulators, we were able to get uh, special rules for tethered devices um, that are uh, much more permissive than, than traditional drones. And um, from a regulatory perspective, I, I think their usual thought process is focused actually on, on um, safety. safety as, um, privacy is more of a universal thing, and, and it's usually just not, not, not the thing that they're uh, creating rules based on. But for example, from a safety perspective, um, in Zurich, um, it was prohibited for, for a while to, to fly drones commercially. Uh, the photocite was allowed uh, based on the tether um, and specifically based on the idea that the tether restricts the height of the device. Um, something that's pretty interesting is that uh, many regulators think of um, how much energy is dissipated if the device falls, you know, an uncontrollable fall. And then there's this magic number of 66 joules. 
So basically, if, if you fall and you dissipate 66 jewels, then you magically become uh, unsafe. Uh, how, how much is 66 jewels? What would you compare it to? Well, um, so, so it's, um, it's potential energy, so it's mass times gravity times height. Mm -hmm. So, so um, imagine, um, imagine a six kilo, that's, that's probably a, a bad, uh, how, how much is a bowling ball? A bowling ball? Yeah. Um, 10 pounds for a big one. And how much is that in kilos? Five. Five kilos. So, so it, a, a bowling ball falling from a meter, I suppose. Okay. Is, is considered, uh, it's kind of the safety margin. Gotcha. Um, so, so for the photo kite, you know, with the tether, you can restrict the length, uh, the, the height uh. physically, and then you can guarantee that under no conditions are you going to exceed that safety limit. I see. So uh, that's the big difference here. You can only extend to the length of the tether, and thus you can't get high enough to possibly generate 66 kilos on complete impact. Uh, 66 joules, yeah. 66 right. joules, sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's kind of, there, there are other aspects, like um, they look at uh, system robustness. So for example, uh, how many subsystems or how many components do you have in your critical loop? Meaning, how many um, things are there such that if one of them fails, you have an uncontrolled system, you have a catastrophic failure? And, um, you know, in a traditional drone, you have, for example, the GPS is usually in there, in that critical loop. So is your radio system, because if you lose GPS or radio, you will crash into something. With the photocat, it's a bit different, because there is no GPS, and if the radio cuts out, well, it'll just fly in the same position. Hmm. I see. What do you, so how does it look for other countries following with these exemptions? Uh, for example, do you believe the U.S. will permit uh, tethered drones to fly? Or do you think they'll get lenient exemptions, similar to Switzerland and France? It's, it's very hard to predict which way the reg U.S. regulations are going to go right now in general. Mm -hmm. um, because if you look at the history of it just over the past few months, um, there were some uh, proposed regulations that were extremely lenient, like extremely permissive. Uh, most recently, there has been a massive backlash, uh, like um, uh, a pushback, and um, you know certain events, like uh, you've probably heard of um, someone shooting a drone over their property, things like that. Um, so really hard to predict. Um, there, there's a there's a challenge a bit that since all of this technology is quite new, uh, people don't quite know how to differentiate it. Uh, for example, what is a tethered drone? If you attach a fishing line to a DJI, is it is it now tethered? And I, I kid you not, you can actually buy uh, there are commercial products out there that you can buy that are exactly this, and uh, they, really? they they promise you to get around regulations. That's very funny. Um, so, so I, I think we need, we need, um, this is actually something that we're working on here is, is trying to be proactive and trying to come up with, uh, common sense, also observable definitions of what it means to be tethered and not. For example, um, I really believe that, uh, the tether has to be load bearing, meaning that under typical flight, it should actually be under tension and it should be rated for, um, some, some sort of tension that corresponds to the vehicle.
Uh, for a hobbyist or someone that just wants to use the photokite fee to take pictures of themselves, do these regulations mean anything um, outside of countries that have exemptions for tethered drones? Or is it only for commercial use that these regulations and journalism that the regulations apply? Uh, regulations generally apply to commercial use, but there are exceptions, specifically uh, generally cities, populations, uh, centers, and in the U.S., uh, national parks. That's a huge one. Uh, if you go for a hike uh, to the Yosemite or, or any national Yellowstone uh, in, in the U.S., you can't use a, a drone right now. Um, so I, I think that that's that's some of the kind of the front lines of where we're going to see how um, you know consumer drones get regulated in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, going back to the fee, how does the tether affect battery life? It's actually it's, it's a funny um, system because um, in the pro we use the tether to supply power and then we can fly forever. But in the fee, um, we couldn't do that because of cost uh, complexity. So we use a standard onboard battery. The trick there is that um, since you're producing extra tension to keep the tether taut, you are wasting a tiny bit of battery life. But on the other hand, there are modes of operation. Like if you imagine how a kite actually works, like in the wind, you could actually be using um, a bit less than normal power to stay afloat. Um, so right now, um, the current prototypes, they, they fly for around um, 7 to 10 minutes. For the production units, we, you know, we've, we've done math and we aim for 15 minutes uh, as kind of a typical flight time. Mm -hmm. And the battery is actually a swappable in the field, so you always have the option of replacing it. Okay. Now, how did you decide to make a journalism drone, the Photokite Pro, and then how did you to move to a consumer drone, the Photokite Fee? Um, well, the, the journalism drone, the, the broadcast drone, um, so the Photokite Pro, um, we we realized after talking to, to existing drone users that the Tether had this unique advantage, uh, especially in the niche of live reporting, where uh, in journalism, I mean, typically you want to operate next to people and next to something that's happening, and you don't want to add tension to that uh, situation, things like that. Um, so, so it's 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 a very unique niche where the tether makes a huge amount of difference. And then, you know, with with power of the tether, it it's even more, you know, because uh, that way the journalist can keep the device afloat and not worry about uh, battery life, things like that. And then this is a really great uh, way for us to polish our technology and you know, to, to establish ourselves in the, the technology as a solution. Um, now, honestly, we always wanted to build something a bit um, with a wider reach. Um, and, you know, um, a few months ago, we, we said, finally, look, it's, um, it's now or never. The, the stuff is developing so quickly. What do you mean wider reach? Um, well, uh, a wider audience, so, so, so a wider user base. Um, the the Photocad Pro is, after, after all, it's very specifically for broadcast uh, companies. Um, so, so the fee is, you know, it's it's really a, a big experiment for us to see how well we can um, use this differentiation, the tether. 
to build a, a new user experience. And it's a bit subtle because a lot of people see the fee the, for the first time. They think it's just a quadrocopter. They think it's just a quadrocopter and a string. But but the real, the deeper story behind it and the engineering behind it is to approach um, the whole way you you live and use these devices, uh, kind of from the, from the ground up, uh, using the tether as a as a different approach. Mm-hmm. And so this is a way of addressing an interaction bottleneck with robotics technology. Is it correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, Maybe haven't you been about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, have you have you tried reprogramming your alarm clock lately? <laughs> Um, th- there's this amazing thing, I mean, especially in robotics labs, right? Uh, I think that's a great example. Uh, we come up with these ridiculously complex systems. And sure, they, they can do a lot, a lot in principle, but um, very difficult to interact with. And, and I think this, this somehow echoes with robotics products that have come out um, into the market. Uh, I guess an example of that is, is Fukushima, right, in Japan. Uh, when, when that incident happened, um, arguably Japan has some of the most advanced uh, robotics, especially for search and rescue, anywhere in the world. And, um, you know, they, they really struggled to to have that uh, make a difference in, in that situation, which which was very relevant. And I think a lot of it was was because of interaction, because of training, because of complexity of systems, because um, it's about the technology and not about the experience. So, so I guess the inspiration for the fee is is really to to try to cut across that and try to really come up with with a really smooth and low friction user experience. Where even even someone that that has never touched robotics and you know hates I don't know programming VCRs for example, um, you know someone could show them how to use this device and they could just naturally take it and use it themselves and feel confident about it um, and feel empowered by it. All right, thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today. You can check out robohop.org for more information about the photocard fee, as well as the link to the Indiegogo campaign while it's still open, as well as a wealth of other robotics-related information and news. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Fee with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.